This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to another Stopping Socialism TV segment. I'm, as always, Donald Kendall, joined by Justin Haskins. So today we're going to be talking about uh, China and their kind of a weird relationship that's developing with Afghanistan and uh, why they're doing that. We're going to be talking about that on uh, today's Stopping Socialism TV segment. Before we jump into it, of course, I have to put that thing out there. Uh, You can help us out. You can get our content to reach more eyes just by hitting the like button, leaving a comment, subscribing to our channel here on YouTube. Those are all the things that you can do that won't cost you a nickel that helps our videos break through the algorithm that big tech erects to keep content like this from seeing more eyes. So that's that's what you can do to help us out. Like I said, it won't cost you a nickel, but it helps immensely. So Justin, this is kind of a topic that we've discussed. We haven't done a video about it um, that we've discussed for a while. And it's something that I think both of us find very interesting and we're very curious to see how it develops. And this is a new article from The Hill titled China Seeks to Extend Critical Minerals Monopoly with Help of Taliban um, that just came out the other day. So I thought, you know what, this gives us an excuse to kind of cut a video about this topic uh, because I think it's a very important one. So the article starts off saying that uh, one of the first nations to move to recognize the Taliban's legitimacy amid its takeover of Afghanistan was communist China. For those that pay attention to geopolitics, this didn't come as much of a surprise. Yet beyond mere real politic and great power posturing, another tangible, even materialistic reason has become clear. Afghanistan's abundance of critical minerals. So despite being a poor nation, Afghanistan has nearly $1 trillion worth of untapped mineral deposits, many of which are rare earth uh, minerals such as cobalt, nickel, and copper. Using everything from cell phones and laptops to medical and military equipment, these critical minerals are the building block of a modern uh, technologically advanced society. Afghanistan is thought to have the largest lithium deposits in the world, which is a key component of modern forms of energy storage, such as batteries for electric vehicles and renewable energy. And uh, just the last last sentence I'm going to read off of this is, as the world transitions from fossil fuels to clean energy, the demand for lithium ex- especially will continue to skyrocket. So this was kind of a thing that got a little bit of attention during the whole Afghanistan debacle. And when I say a little, I'm saying like a tiny, tiny amount. Everything else was revolved around Joe Biden and people being trapped. Obviously, very important things to be sure. But the longest lasting consequence of all of this might be in this story here. Am I overstating things, Justin? No, this is the most important. This could be, depending on what happens with energy, this could be the most um, important issue of the next, say, 80 years. I mean, Mm. of the remaining part of this of this century, it really could. Because if the world really does, or the Western world really does switch to wind and solar energy and they build out these massive multi-trillion dollar uh, new green energy systems that run on windmills and solar panels primarily, there'll be other things involved too, of course, but 
um, if that's the primary thing that these things are running on, then rare earth minerals are going to become uh, in the 21st century what oil was in the 20th century. Exactly. And that's really the important thing for people to understand. If you control oil, or, or I mean, if you controlled oil in the 21st century, you had a lot of power. If you control rare, or, or sorry, in the 20th century, if you control rare earth minerals in the 21st century, and uh, as we continue to expand our renewable energy development here in the United States and elsewhere, um, that's only going to become uh, increasingly more important. If you control that in this century, then you control energy, you control society, you control national security, you have lots and lots and lots of power. And so that gives Afghanistan, specifically the Taliban, and, and China, who's working really closely with Afghanistan, a lot more power than either of them currently have. Yeah, you know, and that's like something that like even just like the liberal side of the aisle should be able to fully comprehend like, you know, during, during the George Bush years and like the wars that we got into in the middle East, like they always talked about it in the context of like, it was, it was wars for oil and all of this. Right. And that stemmed from like what you were talking about, this idea that that was a very important resource. That was the cornerstone of our economy and all of that. Uh, so like all of these, uh, very important foreign policy type things were based around this, at least, you know, in liberals minds. Right. So it's like just superimpose what's going on now with all of this over today. Like that, right. it should be something that everyone could wrap their heads around, you know, and, you know, you talked about like, if we were to transition to wind and solar, that's going to need a lot of battery backup. That's one of these things that's, that is talked about by advocates of renewable energy. Uh, you know, because the wind isn't blowing all the time. The sun isn't shining all the time. So you need backup energy. And the only way to have that is massive battery arrays. And how do you have how do you make those? You need a lot of lithium. <laughs> so. that's, that's right. Yeah, there, there was this analysis that was conducted by the BBC uh, about Britain. This is just about Britain um, and their how much rare earth minerals and other things they would need in order to become fully uh, you know, to run almost entirely on wind and solar energy. Um, and one, one Afghanistan's worth. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> yeah. It? Yeah. And when you, when you take those numbers and you expand them out, you project them out based on the size of America's, um, their vehicle fleet and other things. Um, what they found, and actually these numbers are only for the vehicles. It's not for hmm. el electricity, generally speaking. Okay. It's just for the vehicles. Sure. If you were to expand this out to America, same numbers, same analysis in America. So obviously it's a little, it's a different, you know, it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison, but it helps give us kind of a window into what you would need. Sure. The amount of earth minerals that we would need to switch our 272 million vehicles, roughly, that run on fossil fuels to electric vehicles uh, would require 20 million tons of copper, 1.7 million tons of cobalt, and 2.2 million tons of lithium. That's a lot of lithium. It's a now lot of gold. Again, it's a lot are, of copper. <laughs> are environmentalists that are pushing for the Green New Deal and stuff, are they for or against mining? Well, they're against mining, oh, typically, shoot. at least shoot. here in the United States. They're the not-in-my-backyard mining kind of people. <laughs> right. uh, they don't want the mines near them. But if they can't see the mines, it's almost as though they don't exist. All right. Um, so that's a lot of... So if, of, there's like, if there's, like, children in the Congo digging up cobalt, which is literally what is happening... 
Yes, that doesn't is. disturb them quite as much as if it's in their backyard. Well, they can't have children from the Congo in their backyard digging up <laughs> good point. cobalt. That would be very confusing and disturbing. Um, th this is made even more troubling, this whole thing, by the fact that China already controls the vast majority of the rare earth minerals. Yeah, this because... has been something that we've been talking about for a while before right. this Afghanistan thing came into Exactly. The so this is not China saying... This is not us saying, oh, well, maybe, and this author for The Hill saying, you know, maybe China's going to try to do this to get their foot in the door in this whole rare earth minerals game, you know? That's not what's going on. They already control the game. They're right. they're the major players in it. 79% of the global supply of batteries, 79% comes from China, wow. all right? 85% of the world's capacity to process rare earth minerals is in China. Wow. So they already control this. This is further solidifying, and in, in a really dramatic way, but further solidifying their stranglehold on rare earth minerals and battery development and production and things like that. That China, by the way, and this is this is also really important. China is not. They don't control 85% of the rare earth mineral processing because they have 85% of the rare earth minerals in China. Hmm. It's the processing part of it that they are. They've been able to control. So if you dig up rare earth minerals in the Congo, they're not processing them necessarily in the Congo. Very interesting. They okay. send them to China to huh. process them. And that's how a lot of the rare earth minerals, I mean, maybe in the case of the Congo, that isn't, I, I don't know specifically, but I think that is the case in the Congo. But for all sorts of countries all over the world, when they get their rare earth minerals, like in Afghanistan, they ship them to China and China is then the one that would process the rare earth minerals. And then they are the ones that control from there what happens with the rare earth minerals in many of these cases. So China already controls ton, and, and this is something they've been doing over a very long period of time for decades, building out all these relationships with different uh, people all over the world, various countries and regimes, some of them murderous regimes, human rights violators, horrible, horrible people. Um, they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. That's why they're willing to cut deals with the Taliban, because they don't care. It doesn't matter. This is par for the course for them. The important thing for China is to become the dominant force in the world by the end of this century. That's what yeah. they want more than anything. And that's this is part of that larger plan. Yeah, you know, like this would be troubling uh, just in itself. You know, when they talk about how like all of these things are needed for cell phones and laptops and just any of the gadgets and electrics that, you know, you've come that's to right. rely on in your world. Like that, that, that in itself is troubling. But like as we're moving uh, in the direction of being uh, you know, we need reliable energy, you know, like we're going to we're going to strap ourselves to that rock and throw ourselves into the ocean like that just makes it 10 times worse. You know, and like it wasn't that long ago that we actually reached energy independence under the Trump administration. It was like this this political dream that was talked about like since I was a little kid long before I was born, surely. Yeah. And it was just like this 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 pipe dream that yeah. it was the politicians always talk about it during election season and then you never hear about it again. And then because of fracking and the natural gas revolution and all that, we actually achieved it. Yep. We achieved energy independence. And now, instead of being dependent on these people that we needed oil from, like I kind of referenced at the beginning of this talk, it's now we're going to be dependent on China for all these rare earth yep. materials. Like, it's just like we're it, it, 
you couldn't draw up a worse plan. <laughs> like, yeah, this is it's, so it's terrible. Liter- it's literally the worst plan imaginable. And, it really and the, is. It really is. Because the thing is, when in the past, like, say, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, especially after you had Western nations get out of the Middle East and the Middle East became... Uh, you know, various countries were semi-autonomous or autonomous and you didn't have like say England running the show there or France or America or whatever. Um, you know, everyone always complained about how we, we were at the whims of OPEC, like whatever OPEC wanted, we were just at their, we were at their mercy. But in reality, everyone in OPEC knew that if they really, really tightened the screws, we would just go to war with them. They, I mean, they knew that. And we knew that they would get wiped off the face of the earth if that happened, right? So they would mess with us at times. They would make life miserable for us. Yes, they dr- sometimes drive up costs. They actually were relatively good to the United States compared to certain other countries in the West. But that was that's not the case with China. If China decides, you know what? We're going to double our rare earth minerals, you know, our, our battery costs, uh, prices to uh, America from now on. You know, so uh, if you want to buy batteries in America, you got to pay twice as much. If they decided to do that in an economy where we are totally dependent on batteries in order to, for every vehicle in the country to operate, they could theoretically. And what would we do? Go to war with China? No, that's not going to happen. Right. What's going to happen is we're just going to pay because they control it and we don't have the ability to do it. And yeah, you know, you could say, well, we could just, you know, we could process our own rare earth minerals. It's like, yeah, okay, good. I'll look forward to that in 20 years when we build out all that infrastructure, get all the permits that we need, build all these relationships internationally with everybody. And this is the whole point is you just alluded to it. Why go through all of that when we actually already have all the domestic energy production that we could ever possibly need here already with fracking, natural gas, uh, nuclear power, which we don't even, I mean, nuclear power alone, we could power most of the United States just from that and not ever have to worry about China ever for any of these things. In fact, with nuclear power, you could still have lots of electric cars and things like that if you really wanted to. I don't recommend it necessarily, but you could have it. So to do it this way is literally the dumbest way imaginable. This is the worst, dumbest possible plan. It's so dumb, it almost makes you think that like there might be something else there, and I don't know what that is exactly, but how can they be this stupid how can they be this dumb i don't i don't know but these are the people that we put into power and they're the ones promising you this great big grand green revolution like all you have to do is build a a solar panel or a windmill and it works forever yeah uh or that all you have to do is have electric cars and then you just plug them in and they work forever right when in reality you need you those are those require energy sources being dug out of the ground too except instead of fossil fuels it's renewable it's it's uh, rare earth minerals it's lithium and cobalt and stuff like that yeah and except instead of having some guy in south dakota or woman in south dakota dig it out of the ground and have a, a mining company and send it to a processing plant in louisiana we have to go to china right. to get our rare earth minerals and batteries like it's just it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of going on, the kind of like a, a macro perspective in all of this, it's not like this would be out of the norm for China to go and go and get involved in Afghanistan and actually start taking out some of their resources. Uh, there is a, there's been a program in place for a while now in China called the Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically in, in 
feel free to correct me if I'm mangling this, but they're building up infrastructure in different countries, kind of in that whole, uh, you know, Asian continent and into Africa as well, to be able to mine out different resources uh, that helps their cause, right? right? So there was this piece, The this is the only other article that I want to kind of bring up in this discussion. And this is from the Council on Foreign Relations, and it's titled, Why Major Belt and Road Investments Are Not Coming to Afghanistan. So I often try to look for like uh, something refuting the points that we're trying to make just to make sure that we're not being like alarmist about any of this or, you know, chasing uh, chasing geese, you know, around or anything like that. So I found this article and I thought like, OK, if this is good, there's going to be something that's going to debunk this idea that we should be concerned about China's involvement in Afghanistan. Like here it is. So first off, Council on Foreign Relations probably shouldn't be trusted. In my experience, they probably shouldn't be trusted. So then them just publishing an article with this headline kind of made me like, okay, maybe there is something scary going on here. So the majority of this article is uh, about how like Afghanistan's far too unstable for China to invest in. Like they, they, they talk about a couple of attacks that happened from cells that originated from Afghanistan and, and how the likelihood is that China will see Afghanistan as too unstable to put any money into it because, you know, they're afraid of losing that money. Um, so, you know, I think that point's probably a fairly solid point and something that's taken into account when the uh, the bean counters in, in China are deciding what to do. But there is a uh, an interesting couple of paragraphs in this in this article. So it says here, Chinese officials have repeatedly expressed interest in expanding the Belt and Road Initiative's signature undertaking, uh, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, into Afghanistan. So the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor encompasses $62 billion in commitments, covering everything from power plants to railways, roads, and a major port facility. In June, China's state counselor and foreign minister Wang Yi voiced support for extending the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor into Afghanistan. During this meeting between foreign ministers from Afghanistan, China, and Pakistan, the three countries agreed to, quote, deepen high-quality belt and road cooperation and enhance connectivity among the three countries. Uh, senior members of the Taliban have reciprocated this interest, recently wishing that China, quote, play a bigger role in the future reconstruction and economic development and guaranteeing the safety of Chinese investors and workers in the country. So while they're kind of dismissing it with that title, that paragraph right there makes it seem like this is not some far-fetched idea this is something that's being actively pursued by all of the interests in that area yeah it's really it's really bizarre it's almost as though the title is a mislead it's just, it's <laughs> a yeah it's like it's like opposite day over at the council on foreign relations like yeah. what, what are you talking about uh I, I i think it's pretty obvious when you have china meeting having actual in-person meetings with the heads of the Taliban that there's something more going on there than just, well, maybe this could work out. Right. No, no, no. There's something much more going on there than that. And when you have the Taliban coming out and saying, you know what, this whole uh, global warming thing, we're going to fight global warming. <laughs> yes. We're anti-climate change in the Taliban. It's a new Taliban. I mean, what? why would they say that? 
Right. And everybody kind of mocked it when that story. That's a real story, by the way. That you is a look real it story. Yes. When when they came out, a lot of people laughed and thought that was just more proof. It's just ludicrous, you know, rebranding of the Taliban that they're trying to do, right? <laughs> like they have their own Greta, uh, yeah. Greta, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a Greta Thunberg. It might be a you know a little Billy Thunberg or something. <laughs> sure, tech isn't going to be a Greta. Um, but I, but you know, like this, this whole idea of like rebranding the Taliban, but the truth is, I think what they were really doing was not making some sort of ludicrous statement about now we're, you know, fighting climate change. I think they're actually sending a signal to these big, yeah. uh, you know, global right. countries that are interested in renewable energy to say, Hey, we're open for business. You yes. want to come mine our lithium? Come mine our lithium. That's what we're looking All for. All under the guise of trying right. to help battle climate change on How, an international scale. Right. I mean, think about this for a second. It's the Taliban in one of the poorest places on earth. Right. Just living is, you know, what's their carbon footprint? Like almost zero all the time? I think it's you six. Know? What, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, is the carbon footprint, like 90% of the carbon footprint comes from what? Herding the sheep? Like they don't have... They don't have massive CO2 emissions, okay? Nobody's worried about Afghanistan's CO2 emissions. That's not what they're talking about. When they're talking about fighting climate change, they're talking about selling access to their rare earth minerals to other countries like China so that they can become much wealthier. And the other thing, and I, I, we may have talked about this in some other podcasts we've done, I don't know, but the other thing that people really need to, to pay attention to is, why would the Taliban want to do this? Why do they care about all this? Well, they don't just get money out of it. They do get money out of it, but that's not all. If China moves into Afghanistan and starts mining rare earth minerals all over the place, are is anyone ever is the United States ever going to go invade Afghanistan ever again with China sitting there with a bunch of people mining Very the rare point. earth minerals? Very nope. Good point. Nope, we are never going back. And you know what? No one else is ever going back either. Right. Because all China has to do is say, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't come into Afghanistan. This is our place now. We have a deal with we have a deal with the government here. We're mining rare earth minerals. Everything is fine. You stay the hell out. And no one will ever go there again. So this is a way for the Taliban to both get lots of money and keep foreign powers out forever once china actually comes in china this is a win-win situation because they get to buy cheap they get access to cheap rare earth minerals that the taliban can't mine anyway because they don't have the ability to do that china mines it they send it up back to to the mainland or to some other refinery somewhere and now they have an even greater strangle stranglehold on these rare earth minerals and bizarrely the United States, who seemingly under the Joe Biden administration wants to move towards this, you know, green energy utopia where you need all these rare earth minerals, Ch uh, uh, Joe Biden could have cut a deal with the existing pro-American or the pre-existing, I guess you could say now, uh, uh, pro-American Afghan government to mine these rare earth minerals and do stuff with that. But for whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. Right. I don't know why that's the case. Maybe because we don't have the refineries here. I don't know. But instead of us mining that, we basically just handed it on over to China, who now gets to mine all this and do a deal with the Taliban and all of this stuff. So this is a massive, massive foreign policy loss, not just because 20 years have gone by and what really have we accomplished now that the government is gone and Afghanistan is ruled by the Taliban again, but also because now it's worse than it was before. 
Because now you have this desperate need for rare earth minerals, and you've got a global adversary, which is exactly what China is, moving in, taking control of them. This is a horrible, horrible thing that happened in Afghanistan for a variety of reasons. And this is is the biggest part of it long term. It's just people don't want to focus on it because it's not quite as sexy as the rest of it. But... Yeah, you know, Boy, and, and I will disaster. I will admit, like some of this is very speculative, right? We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this develops over the next several months. But just while you were talking, I just Google searched China-Pakistan economic corridor, and the two articles that came up, and they're only a couple of weeks old. Uh, one titled "Taliban Say They Desire to Join the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor Projects." And this one, Taliban look uh, at joining China-Pak economic corridor projects. Pakistan calls it encouraging. So it seems like it's moving along. So I guess we'll keep an eye on it and we'll report back as the story develops. Because, yeah, this this one might be it's the all, most... It, it's also important to keep in mind that many of the, the top Taliban uh, officials, if you could call them that, I guess, Taliban militants, were hiding out in Pakistan. That's mm. where they were. So is it really shocking that they want to be involved in a deal with the Pakistani government and the Chinese who have been dealing with the Pakistanis already? No, it makes perfect sense. All of this lines up, it makes perfect sense. There's no reason why this won't happen. I think it's so obvious that it will. The only thing that could get in the way, I guess, is the Taliban is insane. Yeah. So who knows? Right. (laughs) Right? Like, I guess that could happen. You know, that the head of the Taliban could have a dream tomorrow that says, don't do business with China. And all of a sudden the deal's off. Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. And uh, if you want to make sure that you get those updates as we continue to keep an eye on it, you can uh, do so by just subscribing to Stopping Socialism TV here on YouTube or frequently check StoppingSocialism.com. Or you can just subscribe to our or become followers on social media. Uh, You can find our stuff on basically everything. We have a Facebook account, Stopping Socialism. We have an Instagram account. We have a Parler account. We've got a socialist Twitter account. So if you want to... Stay up to date with all of that stuff. You can find our stuff. You just have to look hard enough. Justin, where can the fine people find you? At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Socialist Twitter, Parlor, GTTR, whatever that's called. <laughs> G-E-T-T-R. Actually, I really like that platform, by the way. If you ever okay. get a chance to check it out, check it out. All right. um, and just about everything else. All right. Fantastic. And we will talk to you next time. 